We're going to talk in this session about the health consequences of human trafficking. As you noticed, there have been several human trafficking talks on uh, the schedule this time. There was last year, too, and we found that people really were very interested in the topic, so we uh, tried to spread out for, from that sort of the Trafficking 101 and give you some uh, deeper things here. And this one is going to be on health. If you have a trafficked person and they are kept in a locked room or they are kept closely by their trafficker or in a basement or in a closet or even on a street that's full of brothels, how many people are likely to come in contact with them? Not, not very many, except maybe the police. The other group of people who are likely to come in contact are health care providers. And there's a big window of opportunity here for health care providers in this very, very dark area. These next two slides um, were at last year's conference um, showing a study that was done in Europe on women from many countries who had been freed from trafficking. And when they were interviewed, they said that 28% of them had encountered a health care provider while they were in captivity. But even though I encountered them, it had nothing to do with their rescue or relief. This study was done in California, in Los Angeles, actually, in emergency rooms. And it's uh, got a lot more statistics than this. But I thought that saliently, although 76% had heard of trafficking, only 13% thought they could identify a victim. And less than 3% had ever had any training on recognizing a tip victim. So last year at this conference, someone asked the question during a session and said, how do we as healthcare providers get any training on this? And light bulbs went on for several of us saying, there isn't any place. We need to do that. And hopefully I'll have time to tell you at the end about some other things that a whole task force of people that are here at this conference are working on for CMDA to help educate physicians more. This is a quote taken from a European study on consequences of trafficking. And it says, trafficking harms women in insidious ways that create messy health problems. These, this is not a pie-in-the-sky talk. These are very hard people to take care of and help. The physical and mental health consequences are not a side effect of trafficking, but they're a central theme. And trafficking is a healthcare issue in that healthcare is central to restoring the well-being of the trafficking survivor. So I would say we have a big role to play in um, healthcare and trafficking. One of the issues is access to healthcare. Um, there are your average pimp is not going to remember to take a woman for her yearly Pap smear, nor is he going to remember to pay, or is he going to want to pay for that to be done or to get the child immunized, or to do many of those kinds of things. So preventive services are fairly non-existent. Um, lack of access to care. You can see in this study that was done, only 20% of the interviewed victims could identify a location capable of rendering care. 80% of trafficked people didn't even have a clue where they could go if they needed care. And on top of that, late services. Many people that will present that have been trafficked are not going to come in in early stages of a disease. The trafficker is making money 
off of these women. He's not going to take them for your general cold or cough or any kinds of things like this. But if it reaches the point that he may lose his investment, he's going to bring her in. So you may find much more developed chronic problems than you would in a regular population. So what are some of the reasons you get these health issues? Well, a lot of it stems from their inhumane living conditions. If some of you were just at the last uh, talk on this, someone in the audience mentioned reading a book about um, someone kept chained to a bed for 10 years. Uh, sanitation is poor. I just got back from Mumbai, and in those brothels, there's not, there's not a bathroom inside any of those uh, brothels um, or a sink. There's um, inadequate nutrition, poor personal hygiene, a lot of very brutal physical and emotional abuse, dangerous working conditions, and a lack of quality and medical care. So this is the background that you're seeing for these women. And remember that many of them come in with pre-existing problems. Poverty is overwhelmingly a lead cause into trafficking. If you're uh, interviewing people in India, there are so many people trafficked that are poor from Nepal. They live on farms. They, if they don't work today, they don't eat today because they don't have money. And if someone comes along and says, I can get you a really good job. My daughter works in this big city, and I have a restaurant, or you can take care of children, or they tell them whatever. Or some of them interviewed said they were out in the field working at age eight, and someone came and put a gun on them and said, you're coming with me. And so poverty, you know, is associated with a lot of health problems. So it is for trafficked women. Half of them are physically abused. A third are sexually abused. 22% physical and sexual abuse in this study. And <coughs> most of them, <coughs> excuse me, are very poorly educated. For example, when asked questions about how you get HIV or what you can do to not get HIV, half of them didn't have any idea what HIV really was. So what happens when you have poor living conditions? Well, some of the health problems that you can see are things like malnutrition, Diarrhea, scabies, head lice, typhoid, tuberculosis, impetigo. These are all things that come from poor living conditions, poor hygiene, people crowded close together. So, for example, let's have some fun in audience participation. Tell me what you're seeing here. Ringworm. Ringworm's on here. What else is on here? Impetigo is on here, things that you may get in living conditions like this that you may not see as regularly in your office. What is it? Scabies. Lots of scabies. Um, lots of scabies on these people. And if you look on the bottom left, you might see that and think that this is primarily uh, venereal disease that you're seeing. But if you look at the rest of the body, you'll see that they have these bites uh, from those little critters up there all over the place. How about this? Lice. Epidemic in these circumstances. This is a study that was done on a group of women who were taken out of trafficking situations. They were rescued, 
And in the first 10 days, they were asked about medical symptoms that they had. And you can see that, unfortunately, this is not like um, a specific, specific syndrome that you can say, oh, if they have this medical issue, this medical issue, and this medical issue, that triad, that's a trafficked person. We don't have that kind of thing. These are all very nondescript types of things, headaches, dizziness, memory problems, back pain, fatigue, various sexual health problems, pain, discharge. They're very, very common things to hear from all sorts of people. Um, someone who may be depressed, for example, may be in a bad living situation, they're going to complain of headaches or dizzy spells or memory problems. Because they have headaches, which over 80% rank as severe, and because they have memory problems, this isn't an easy person to get a history from. When it's 3 o'clock in the morning and they're in your emergency room, this is not the person you're real excited to be spending a lot of time with because, as I said, they're hard. And you can see at the bottom, 63% reported more than 10 concurrent physical health problems upon entering post-trafficking programs. So there is a lot of physical problems and some somatic problems that come out of trafficking backgrounds. Additionally, you see weight loss. One, weight loss from stress. Second, weight loss because they're not eating well. They may have food withheld as a control issue. Um, they may have developed an eating disorder, just psychologically coping with what's happening to them. And they may have sleep disturbances. So those are the common things. What about mental health consequences? Well, in this um, two surveys here I put together, um, you can see that two-thirds have post-traumatic stress disorder from the things that have happened. 91% acute anxiety, 85% depression, insomnia, hyperalertness, loneliness, fear, tension. All of these things are going to affect how they're interacting with you as well as have consequences for their ongoing health. There's mind-body dissociation that happens, especially with the younger a girl has been trafficked, the more likely she is to have a multiple personality disorder develop. For example, the last time I was down in uh, Nicaragua this year, we had a five-year-old girl who had, been who had been rescued from trafficking. And the younger they are, the more you'll see the multiple personality problems. Um, besides the dissociated ego states, they have a lot of shame and blame for what they've done, even not recognizing it's not their fault. Um, grief, especially the younger they are, the more they have lost, and the more they miss their family and they miss their parents. Distrust, hatred of men. Two-thirds of trafficked women have thought of attempting suicide, and many do. Um, they're quite isolated. They can't talk. The Pimmons not going to let them um, talk. They're very afraid of the authorities because many times the authorities are corrupt in inclusion with the people who own the brothels. Sometimes police own brothels. Or you'll get a woman who's working in a brothel and uh, her family sold her to pay off a debt and her time is only almost up. The pimp will have the police come in and do a raid and then they'll arrest them, and then he has to bail them out, and then she now owes him all the bail money. 
Or the police, when you get a younger girl or a, a virgin, they save those um, in most companies for countries for three kinds of people. They save them for the high government officials, they save them for the police, and they save them for the U.S. sex tourists because those are the people that are going to pay more money for these. But the police come in, they wear their uniforms so the girls know that they're not the safe people to go to when they have a problem. And they have a sense, general sense of betrayal because they have been victimized often by someone that they know. Um, children, obviously, because psychologically their damage occurs at a less developed point, have a tremendous amount of issues to deal with. Here's just some of them listed. Affective disorders, behavioral disorders, cognitive problems, acute anxiety and stress, conduct disorders, personality disorders, poor academic achievement, poor interpersonal relationships. Put all that stuff together, and again, you the pediatrician or family practitioner, this is not an easy child uh, to work with. These people can have a lot of problems after they've been rescued with uh, flashbacks, um, with uh, panic attacks, um, waking up screaming during the middle of the night. So severe psychiatric issues to deal with. Um, substance abuse contributes to that, and the reason there's substance abuse is for two reasons. One, it, it makes a lot of sense for the pimp to get the woman addicted because then she is more dependent upon him or her um, for getting them their drugs and continuing that. Secondly, these women, in their tremendous anguish for what's going on, don't have many ways to numb their psychological pain. And alcohol and drugs are a way to do it. So they'll use it themselves. For example, in Nicaragua, drug of choice is glue because it's the most easily accessible, but most of these women will be glue sniffers. Um, for mental health care, cognitive behavioral therapy has been one thing that's been proven to be effective, and you really need people with expertise in these areas. Um, trauma-informed mental health services, I'm going to talk about trauma-informed care in a little while, and substance abuse therapy. It takes a whole, it's multifaceted what you have to deal with. And so you need, really need people who know how to handle these problems. Okay, if we go to physical, infectious disease is another big area. And what you have to think about is, you know, you're working in your small town where people are trafficked, and someone, a trafficked person comes into your office, and you think about, you know, in Wisconsin, I don't think of malaria too often. Um, but... Remember, this trafficked person may have come from a place of origin where they had a lot of other diseases or dengue fever or um, typhoid or tuberculosis, a lot of things that we may not used to be seeing every day. So remember, they can be bringing things with them from their homes or when they were in transit where they were usually in very bad living circumstances or from their current place, but again, you'll tend to see more developed, more severe levels of problems. Physical abuse that happens, fractures, dislocations, bruises, cuts, dental injuries. Two of my favorite women rescued down in Nicaragua that we see have this great smiles with their two front teeth knocked out from the trauma. You see that not uncommonly. 
um, facial injuries, burns, head trauma, uh, perforated eardrums. And these are pictures of trafficked women, but these, I would say, are not the most common type of pictures you'll see with abuse. What you have to be aware of in your emergency room or in your office is that the trafficker wants to sell this product. So if he's going to burn her with cigarettes or if he's going to cut her or bruise her, he's going to tend to do it not on her face and not on her arms and legs because then he can still sell her and people can't see all that's, that's happened. So you have to be aware in an exam when you're examining the whole body looking for these things. Traumatic brain injury isn't uncommon because of the physical abuse that's happened. And with a traumatic brain injury come headaches, come memory loss, come other problems that these women then chronically have to deal with. And these women we're talking about today are sex trafficked. So sexual exploitation is the largest area um, that causes health consequences. And these are, tend to be reproductive areas. Um, for example, HIV, AIDS, hepatitis, sexually transmitted infections, which I'll detail in a minute, pregnancy, including ectopic pregnancy and abortion complications, um, vaginal trauma. Vaginal trauma is not um, infrequent. Some of these women have unbelievable things done to them. Some of these women and children die um, because they, things have happened. I the day before I came, I was meeting with a doctor from another country on Wednesday. told me about a woman that came into his clinic that had a big rectovaginal fistula. He couldn't understand it because she hadn't had any babies. And she had been married for a short time, but within that time, she'd been sold by that man, um, had a lot of anal trauma, and wound up with a, with a fistula. Um, candida and urinary tract infections, although they're not sexually transmitted diseases, also are very common in this group of people. And of the sexually transmitted infections, it's PID, chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, trichomonas, herpes, warts, lice. HIV-AIDS. Remember, um, you may see people without diagnosis. They haven't gone in for their screening. They may present with some of the Initial symptoms, they may present with more advanced cases. What they don't present with usually is an HIV test. Um, trafficked women as opposed to legal prostitutes. For example, in Nicaragua, there is prostitution is legal, as it is in some counties in Nevada in the United States. Um, and some women there are in prostitution make money. Some have been trafficked. They have been sold. They generate a lot of money, but <clears throat> it goes to the pimps, and they have no choice about staying in it. Um, they are more at risk. So it's not just the sexual activity. That, that's the fact they've been trafficked because they tend to be more illiterate, unaware of STIs and HIV. They have very limited access to health care. They can't negotiate with their clients to use condoms. A prostitute is more likely to be able to get a man to use a condom than a trafficked woman who doesn't have a choice. They won't negotiate. She's sold, and this is what they're there for, whatever the client wants to do. And they also are reluctant to seek services because they're very afraid of arrest or deportation. Some also will choose not to use condoms, even though there are NGOs that distribute them wildly because, um, widely. 
um, because they'll earn more money. They'll get paid more if they don't use a condom and they have children to feed. Pelvic inflammatory disease, <clears throat> again, depending on where you're working, and it's going to be different if you're here in the United States with all sorts of resources or if you're in a low-resource country. Um, here, you can do a test for chlamydia and gonorrhea. Um, you can do a CT scan and look for pelvic abscess. You're not going to be able to do that if you're in a brothel or you're working with some women who have just been rescued. Um, the code word uh, we found in India for PID tended to be, I have a white discharge, which isn't even the color we think of here. But that, that's, you know, locally what they tend to use. It's different things in different places. But PID obviously is uh, devastating. What's this one? Hepatitis. And this one? Strawberry cervix. Bubbly vaginal discharge, little or trichomoniasis. How about this? Medical students might be best because you remember in school we learned about Fitzhugh Curtis syndrome, and then the rest of us who don't do gynecology forgot it. Look at that. This is chlamydia. You know, again, we see a lot of asymptomatic people with chlamydia. We'll pick it up on the culture but they don't have symptoms. Chlamydia untreated um, gets a lot of iritis, you may see. Um, can get a very bad discharge. That's, uh, that is uh, uh, hepatic adhesions interabdominally there. That, you see those from chlamydia. What about this? What disease is this? Candida is a really good guess, but that's not it. This is chlamydia also. And again, not what we tend to see regularly. What's the one on the top left? I would have said syphilis. That would have been my first guess, but it's actually chlamydia. And the sausage toe on the right, sausage toe is called, but is there another name, medical name besides sausage toe? Chlamydia. Do you remember hearing of Reiter's syndrome in school? It's now called the disease previously known as Reiter's syndrome because Reiter was a Nazi, and they've taken the name. Or they call it reactive arthritis, which also tends to come with an iritis and a um, urethritis and an arthritis, remember? Both on the left and uh, the foot on the right, that's chlamydia. But probably in a clinic, that wouldn't be your first thought on someone local. You need to think about it when you're working overseas, or you need to think about it when you have someone who may have been trafficked, because they're not going to have come in with their asymptomatic discharge. What kind of things influence the incidence of getting these sexually transmitted infections among trafficked victims? Well, what influences them in anyone? And you have to recognize that we talk about early intercourse. We talk about multiple partners. Wow. Is that a description of a trafficked woman? Or what? Of course. Um, they have a lot of sexual exploitation. They have a lot of sexual partners. Some victims of trafficking have been reported as having been forced to have sex with as many as 40 
to 50 men in a night. And if you have a teenager, just because of the physiologic changes that are happening to the cervix, if you remember their squamulonclumnar junction moving, a teenager has a 25% higher chance of picking up an STI than someone who's not physiologically in that place. Condom use, trauma. These girls have a lot of trauma. Coitus during menstruation. They have no control over that. Vaginal douching. In some surveys, up to half of trafficked women tend to douche whenever they can because they feel so unclean. What's this one? The shanker, primary syphilis, primary syphilis presenting on the mouth and genital um, syphilis, but that's primary syphilis. I, I never saw this in my office in Wisconsin. Um, how about these? It is a scrotum on the right upper. Secondary syphilis, condyloma lata. Over on the left, what about this? Congenital syphilis. What about this? Remember back to the first two years of medical school, there's a guma that can form in the third stage of syphilis besides the neural changes. That's a guma on the left. This is an HIV-positive patient on the right who was diagnosed for the first time with syphilis when they came in with this tertiary rash. So, again, you may see things um, differently when you see trafficked people. How about this? Anybody? Pubic lice. Herpes. Condyloma. Okay, let's look at some other reproductive consequences of being trafficked and sexually exploited, and that would be pregnancy. Pregnancy in young women. Pregnancy in women whose body is not fully matured yet in cases of child trafficking. Um, cases where women have very little resources to care for that child once it's born. <clears throat> This is an article from Lancet, and it talked about the fact in prostituted children, it's estimated that about 9 million girls per year become pregnant that are trafficked. 9 million. And of those, there's probably around almost 5,000 maternal deaths. Um, there are over a million induced abortions. There's a third of a million abortion-related complications and about 710 abortion-related deaths, just statistically because obviously nobody has the exact numbers. When I was just in Mumbai, I saw women who had had seven, eight abortions, because when we asked did they use contraception, 100% of the answer was no. And no contraception available to them, even though it happens to be free from the Indian government. There's a lot of things that go into play there, as opposed to some other countries where you'll find they're mostly on Depo Provera. But but abortions common and often illegal abortions. Um, you may see somebody coming to you because of abortion-related complications. 
They tend to show up with prolonged bleeding, heavy bleeding, fever, lower abdominal pain, valvational discharge. And late abortions of complica- uh, late complications of abortion, it's been very well shown now that in women who have had abortions, prematurity is a common complication after that. Um, incompetent cervix with pregnancy loss, placenta previa, unfortunately infertility because of that septic abortion and infection, or chronic pelvic pain because of that septic abortion. I saw several women recently whose history was that they had normal regular periods until they had their abortion, and they haven't had a period since. They have Asherman syndrome. What are the long-term consequences of these pregnancies? Well, or of these sexual problems? Unwanted children, which are a major problem, especially for the child. Infertility chronic pelvic pain, AIDS, ectopic pregnancies, cervical cancers because of the pelvic scar in the ectopic pregnancies, which, as you know, is a life-threatening disease. In our infertility clinic, we pick these up sometimes before someone's even missed a menstrual period because of the technology we have. If you're in a low-resource country, an ectopic pregnancy is picked up when it ruptures. And... Cervical cancer, I want to mention to you because, again, all the risk factors of cervical cancer these young women have, and in not one of them, the cases, is it their fault that they have multiple sexual partners and sex at a young age and all these things. And we know the progression of cervical cancer, that it takes on an average about 10 years from when you get infected with HPV to actually turn into a malignancy, which means there's time to intervene. Although in these young women... Instead of screening criteria we use here in your 30s, you may actually see invasive cancers in your 20s at a younger age because they've been sexually active younger. But this is a big area we're working on now in CMDA to try to uh, intervene. And World Health Organization has been pushing in a lot of low-resource countries using visual inspection with acetic acid and cryosurgery. One time, see and treat to try uh, to prevent this. We just, here's a um, visual inspection by putting on acetic acid, which is vinegar. Um, Here it is with low magnification, a cervicoscope. Um, Here it is with iodine on it. You can see the lesions. You can treat non-medically trained people to do this, which is being done all over the world, and women's lives are being saved. We just screened 26 women in... um, Mumbai and the brothels that had been rescued. Uh, all 26 had H- were HIV positive. Several had multi-resistant tuberculosis. And um, we had an invasive cervical cancer already at age 22 and a vaginal cancer. You had a question over here? Uh, it varies. Um, some women are taken to a hospital. Um, and other women are um, done in the basement or the back halls by the uh, pimp or by the trafficker because he doesn't want to spend the money. Also, in some countries, the morning-after pill is being used quite a bit now. You can buy it over the counter um, in most countries, and the pimps are going out and getting that and just trying to use uh, medical uh, abortion, although... You know, that has a higher risk of complications with retained products and bleeding and infection 
and things like that. So it really runs a whole spectrum to the way abortions are, are done on these women. Um, things you should think about reproductively is, one, consider in these people getting HIV testing, pregnancy testing, STI screening, if you can do it. You need to talk to them about contraceptive options. You need to talk to them about safe sex. Many of them don't know what that is. I think many of them think if they get a Depo-Provera injection, they can't get HIV or an STI. And in most places, you have to do syndromic treatment, which is what the World Health Organization talks about in low-resource settings. You can't accurately do chlamydia and gonorrhea cultures. It's syndromic. If they are being trafficked or they tell you they're a commercial sex worker, nobody's going to say they're trafficked. Um, they won't even know what that means. Um, and they're complaining of lower abdominal pain, fever, and you find significant pelvic tenderness, you treat them. That's syndromic treatment because you, you can't wait for testing or do testing. Here are some of the kinds of labs that are recommended. Because of the kind, obviously, you use your judgment and you use where you are, um, but it depends on their symptoms. You know, if they come in with diarrhea, you might want to look for stool for ova and parasites um, more than you would with others. If they come in with a chronic cough, you're more likely to think about tuberculosis and want a skin test, want a chest x-ray, something like that. Think of hepatitis. Think of these things that you may not be used to. And if you're in a situation where there's a chance of um, evidence being collected because the legal system is involved, um, then you need to have someone who's knowledgeable in the law and forensics to do testing for you at the time. They don't get preventive care. Remember, think about immunizations. If you're in this country, PAPS. In other countries, as I say, BIA. Um, dental, hearing, vision, all, all of these things. These people have been neglected for a long, long time. And um, this was um, referred to by Dr. Powell, some of these things in her last talk. But I, I just wanted to emphasize that, as I said earlier, this is a hard group to work with. There are a lot of barriers for them in um, talking to you and telling you what's going on. They're very afraid. Many of them know that if they some, know, say something, their trafficker knows where their family is, and he's already told them that he'll go get their sister. Um, many of them feel like it's their fault. Many of them have developed, they rely on that trafficker for their food, for their clothes, for everything. They're, they're afraid to, to say anything to you. So there's not easy to talk to them. And again, this is intentionally a repeat slide from another talk. To make the point, you have to get them alone if you have any hope of talking to them. Because a trafficker or the madam of the house or someone will accompany them. They'll do all the talking. And they'll say, you know, they are the brother and she's schizophrenic, and they care so much about her, and they're trying to help, and they're not. They're trying to just keep her quiet, and they can be quite charming. Um, Trauma-informed care is an important concept when dealing with these women. Um, to try to have a nine-year-old who's been rescued from trafficking and has gynecologic problems and try to do a pelvic exam on them is so traumatizing to them, I can't tell you. Um, they are so frightened. 
They are so flashing back to when, what went on. Trauma causes them to respond the way they do in the current situation, or to be angry, or to swear at you, or to spit at you, or to do something else. And you have to understand, you have to be informed about what effects that trauma may have on the way that they're acting. You have to think about their physical and their emotional safety. You have to address co-occurring problems. You've got to use empowerment to guide your delivery. For example, I have a patient in my office who was sexually abused. She was not trafficked. It seemed a very odd thing, but her dad who abused her would make her go in the room, get undressed, and sit there naked and wait for him. It was really important to her that I came in and stood in the room and did something while she was getting undressed, or she just couldn't do it because it just made her flash back. And we could figure out what kind of issues she was having and try to work it out so it was comfortable for her. That's trauma-informed, and she's being empowered. You have to maximize their choices and control, two things that they know nothing about. Um, When I was just in India, we had this cervical cancer screening going, and the people who ran the shelter really bought into this and understood the importance of it because we spent days educating before we tried to do anything. And they brought in one woman, and the women, after we talked to them, were actually excited to have this done, that we could do something that could potentially save their lives. And they would let us examine them, which was not an easy thing for a lot of them. But they had a woman who had only been there two weeks. And they brought her in. I remember seeing her in the dining room. She's just a beautiful, thin Indian woman. Her eyes were down, and she couldn't look at us. She had trouble walking. She'd hardly been there two weeks. And the story was that's because she just got out of the hospital where she'd been since February when she told her husband that she no longer wanted to be dragged around and kept being used as a sex slave. And so he took a can of gasoline and he dumped it in her lap and he set her on fire. And she was all burnt. And she could barely walk. And this woman was used to being told what to do and doing it but scared out of her mind. And the nurse started to say to her, get on the table, lay down, slide down. I sit there and said, no. And she was floored that we would not offer her this wonderful service that we had brought in. I mean, we had several of the people in charge question, why won't you do this for her? And it's because she needed to find out that this rescue shelter was a safe place, that people cared about her, that they respected her, And then we're giving her some choices, and we'd be back next year, and maybe we could look a little bit at that time. So we had to teach the people, even who are in charge, how to do some trauma-informed care. This woman is a survivor, and she'd have gone through this with much more trauma to her than anything, any possible help we would have given her at that time by doing the exam. Emphasize their resilience. Minimize the potential of them experience additional trauma. This um, is stuck here. Sorry. One of the other things is to recognize if you're working with people who come in and don't speak the language well, 
um, or you are working in another culture, there's big cultural differences in the way they approach things. One kind of thing to keep in mind is ask some questions that may help you to understand their culture and to learn about it. What do you think caused your problems? Um, what worries you most about it? What, you may learn a tremendous amount before, because, because before you can help and before you can teach, you have to learn. And they have to teach you what their world is like because you're going into it. There's also addition kinds of systems reviews, I call them, but it's review of systems, but it's also on your physical exam. If you're suspicious of someone being trafficked, you want to be extra careful to ask about head trauma and headaches or pharyngeal trauma or dental pain or visual changes or see if they've got strangulation marks on their neck or if they're coughing for a month. What's their living conditions like? You know, are they, if they're having chronic Diarrhea, oh, sorry. Um, fractures, seizure activity. Um, their hair is all fine. They've got, you look for scabies and lice, and you realize they're, they're thin and their hair is fine, and they've got major nutritional deficiencies. So there's other things to be looking for that you need to be aware of. There's very specific health care needs of this population. And basically, it's important that you take a non judgmental, um, comforting approach when you see them. It is 3 o'clock in the morning. You are tired in the emergency room. You have a lot of people waiting to be seen, and you don't, they smell bad, and they've been drinking, and you don't really want to be there. You need a non-judgmental, comforting approach, and you should not subject survivors to unwanted or unwelcome medical investigation or procedures. It's much more important that you develop trust. Privacy and confidentiality are crucial. Privacy, we talked about getting these company people out of there and letting her have a private, safe place to be with you. We did some surveying that we've, had been tried other places and couldn't be accomplished, but one of the things I think that God gave us to say that helped us was saying to this group of women on this trip, these records stay with us. They do not go in your medical file. No one here sees them. And suddenly we heard stories that these women had never, ever told anyone. No one deserves to be hurt, and everyone deserves to be treated with respect. And that's one of the most important things you can do on your interaction is to get those points across. Do you have any questions? Yes. What is the frequency of um, males, like young men that are being trafficked? Young men, there is a trafficking issue for young men, for homosexual men, for transgender men, um, and for men. Um, it isn't as large as women, but it's certainly a significant proportion. Not as much attention has been paid to that as before. Do you know what the numbers are, well, the Catherine? Number well, the numbers are very difficult, and it's harder to identify men because of the whole shame field. They will not, I talk with people who want to reach out, but they just, they won't admit that they've been trafficked. And boys, yeah, it's a much larger issue than we're really identifying right now. This last trip I was on, um, sitting at a table on a street in the middle of a brothel that had about 150 active brothels uh, there and 10 and 12 women in a, in a little room. Um, the number of young boys and homosexual men and 
transgender men. It was uh, startling to me that we saw there. Any other? Yes. Thank you. Um, as we said, this group, which includes Catherine and myself and Jeff Barrows and Clyde Appel, are trying to blue sky with CMDA, who cares a lot about trafficked people, about ministries that we can help with. GHO has several trips to trafficking areas for short-termers to come alongside and to help, and more for God to talk to you and change your life and for you to learn about what's going on in the situations. We're putting together an online curriculum we hope to have out in the spring that will allow people to learn more about sex trafficking. There are a lot of local opportunities like Claudette just had in her talk. I don't know if you've got them in yours, but there's local things. There's just at so many levels things to be done. But yes, for medical people, there are medical opportunities. Anything else? Yes, one more. Um, Christian Medical and Dental Association, and the, these trips that I was just talking about were with Global Health Outreach. They do have a booth um, downstairs. Thank you. Yeah, I told you it was different. I just used my heart. I could not have done it better. Thank you. It was fantastic. Thank you. Well, we can combine lectures if you want some of this and put it together.